0: Our scripture reading this morning is found in Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Raise your hand, they'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Reading Philippians chapter 2. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's word. I'm going to ask you to follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. May God help us, give us understanding of his word. And though I won't be preaching directly from this text, it is, establishes the point and a topic that we'd like to speak from this, this morning. So pray that God would give us understanding in his word preached today. We're going to have a word of prayer as you remain standing with me and after prayer we'll get into God's Word, preach from God's Word and then at the end of that message we'll have a song from our choir and we'll close our service in a word of prayer. So please remain standing with me as we join in in prayer. Thank you Father for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy that just continues. Each day that we wake up and we see um, your creation, we see your sun rise, we see another day. We thank you for this Sunday, Lord, that you've given us, that we can come and we can worship together. We thank you for this building and this assembling of believers that is gathered here today. And we thank you that we have that opportunity to worship publicly, without harassment, been able to, uh, without shame, and openly worship and praise you in this place. We thank you for each one gathered here today. We pray that you would just open our eyes to understand your word as, as it is preached, to move our hearts to believe in your truth, and to act in a way that brings glory to you in our behavior. We pray for the needs in this church. We pray for the family of Sister Minnie Kathy who passed away and they are in bereavement now. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to them. Help them to remember the testimony that she had when she lived and she left with them to trust in Christ as her Lord and Savior, that they might follow that example. They might come to know you. We um, pray for those in our midst, Lord, who are part of our connection here who may not be here today because of illness and sickness. We think of Mac Hode especially who's suffering from illness and normally is here bright and early. One of the first ones here makes the coffee. and makes us welcome. We thank you for him. We pray for him. We pray for his health that you might allow him to recover and to get better and continue to bring glory to your name. We thank you for his wife who, even though they weren't here, are planning to be here for service. She was here early to to make the coffee, <laughs> to get things ready. She just has a burden for that work and uh, she allowed uh, that to be done. We thank you for her. We just ask that you just continue to strengthen Jackie and help her um, in caring for uh, her husband. I pray for my dad, Lord, who's continued to battle with, with um, ailments that affect him at his age. We just pray that you'll just give him strength and grace We thank you for my mom. We pray that you'll continue to give her strength and grace to care and to show that love that she has been uh, doing during this time. We thank you for that. We pray for others who are suffering, Lord, and are challenged with uh, physical ailments. And we just thank you for the grace that you've given them, each one. You've brought healing. You have um, cured and and worked in in areas of, of our lives. We thank you for that. We just bring you praise and 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 uh just want to mention out loud how much we are thankful for what you do and how you continue to work in our lives we thank you for this work and pray that you would bless this ministry and all that we do might be be to your glory open our eyes to hear your truth and to have a correct response to it we pray this now in jesus name Amen. amen please be seated I'd like to say a special welcome to all of our guests, and a special welcome to one who uh, told me he might be here, and he came here today, Pat Vanderberg from Milwaukee Rescue Mission, who's the head of that ministry. Welcome to Sweet Communion. You've been at Sweet Communion South, so this is the regular Sweet Communion. We kind of claim Milwaukee Rescue Mission as our own. so. Praise God. Welcome to to the the foundation. (laughs) Many uh, who are are working here, we praise God for the union that that he's bringing through us and allowing us to minister in so many different areas. We're thankful for each one of you here today. And uh, we have been working through a number of series in our sermons. We just finished a series, about a uh, 17-message series on the uh, book of Job. And so I'm kind of in between series now, so I have some transitional messages I'd like to speak, and today is one of them. We read this morning from Philippians chapter 2, and uh, what I'd like to look at today, um, the, the thought came from some of the past series that we looked at, including Job. If you remember before that, we had a series in Esther. We looked at the book of Esther and talked about that for a bit. Before then, we looked at uh, the book of Hosea, and uh, we also looked at uh, Philippians, and we read from Philippians this morning, and so uh, my thought is to let the Word of God dwell in us, and that it begins to shape our our perspective of life. And uh, so today, I'd like to talk about a godly perspective. Of how that's important and how we might gain a godly perspective. First of all, what is a godly perspective? A godly perspective is looking at the world through the eyes of God, it's a view of all that is and all that's going on from the viewpoint, from the perspective of God. A godly perspective takes on the values of God. A godly perspective lives life with an emphasis on the eternal above the temporal. We're living in the everyday life and we have to deal with that. But we need to have our minds on the eternal and not just the temporal. Why? Because the temporal is like this. And the eternal is like this. And it keeps on going. So how small is our 70 years, 80 years, 85, 90 plus years, even if we extend that, to that human limit, it's small compared to eternity. And so we would do well, as Moses said in the Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days, that we might apply our hearts towards wisdom. So to have that wisdom, we need to be thinking not just in the years that we have, but in the eternal. What does God want? What does God desire? What is his purpose? What is his plan? What is God doing? What has God done? What is he accomplishing right now? And am I in phase with that? A godly perspective. Let me give you some examples of some godly ex- perspectives as we go through scripture today. You'll be asking a question, how do I form a godly perspective? Romans 10, 17, and we're going to just look at various passages, so you'll have to turn quickly to each one. I do want you to turn. You know, I hate when people come to church and don't open a Bible. So we've made Bibles available everywhere. You have no excuse Don't be lazy. Grab a Bible and turn to it. If you need to look at the table of contents to find it, that's okay. Go ahead and look or ask a neighbor next to you, help me find this real quick. Pastor's moving kind of quickly. Help me find it. Do that. Don't be ashamed to do that. When we come to get a godly perspective, we're going to get that from the Word of God. Not just me talking at random or anybody else talking, but from what God has to say. So I invite you to turn with me to every passage that we look at. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We're going to get a godly perspective by taking in what God has to say in his word. You know what affects and impacts most people's perspective Well, everyone's perspective is impacted by the input they receive. What kind of input are you receiving? Who has your ear? Who are you listening to? If you get up in the morning, fix your pot pot of coffee, and turn on the news or look on the internet, you are getting a perspective on life. You can allow the internet, you can allow CNN, you can allow whatever your news source, I almost say noise source, I think that's so true, you can allow whatever your news source is to shape your perspective or you can get it from God. If you're going to get a proper perspective, then you need the right input. You need to get it from the Word of God. From God himself. In Romans 8, 28, the verse that you've memorized, many of us have memorized, and it says this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we know that God is working in all things for the good of his people and for his glory. And so that understanding helps us have a proper perspective. In Genesis 12, 3, you know, people talk about a global perspective. In Genesis 12, 3, it says this, When God spoke to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a promise that God gave to Abraham, but it helps shape our perspective on life, that God is doing something, and the thing that he's doing, he's doing through his people in a special way. He started that with Abraham. And he says, I am going to bless all families of the earth through you. So God is announcing. He's letting us in on what his plan is. What his world plan is. He began to, to, to share that with Abraham. And he's saying, I am going to send a blessing to the world through you you. Now the Old Testament begins to shape our understanding of what that is, and the New Testament just takes it and explodes it out. And we know that that person, we can see him starting with Abraham. We see his, his children, Isaac and Jacob. And, 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 and so we see the, the outworking of the whole book of Genesis, don't we? You can, you can name you know, basically five people and, and see the story of Genesis, starting with Adam. Noah, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then at the very end, we we start to see the beginnings of the next main characters, Moses. In Exodus, we see him come into play. God is beginning to work his plan out. We see Adam. We see the sin that they fell into and how God had a plan in Genesis 3.15, how he was going to rescue man from his sin. We see Noah and the state that he lived in. He was a righteous man in a wicked world and God brought judgment on the world. And, and we see how, how God, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We see that continuing on and starting with Abraham. God is saying, look, I'm going to fix this sin problem and I'm gonna do it through a special person. That's why he says in Genesis twelve three. Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all the families on the earth. How does he do that? Very, very quick and simple answer, through the Lord Jesus Christ. God has in mind how he is going to rescue mankind from their problem through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's announcing that very early on in Genesis. Genesis 3 Genesis 12, we see that again. And so he's telling us what his plan is. And he's announcing that. We need to keep his plan in mind. You think, well, that's just Old Testament. That's from way back then. How does that impact me today? It very much impacts you today. And i want to talk more about that as we get into it. And so we see that God is unfolding to us. His plan, and so we need to understand what that is. We did our study in Job, and so I want to turn to Job 42.2. This is a verse that I've looked at several times. Just want to draw your attention to this again. Job 42, 2. This is what Job learned through all of his trials, through all of the experiences that he went through. He says, This I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job gained a godly perspective through the things that he was going through to realize God can, he's able, he has the ability to do what he, whatever he desires to do, and that what he desires to do will happen. It will not be thwarted. Job gained a godly perspective. We should gain a godly perspective. Look at a, a few other verses of Scripture that kind of open our eyes to this perspective, what God is doing. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Are you turning there with me? Amen. Amen. Verse 15, Paul says, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. He's talking to those believers in this city. He was excited about their faith. He began to pray for them. He says, um, verse 16, I I don't cease to give thanks to you, thanks for you. And then he begins a, a prayer that God will give them wisdom Starting at verse 17, he says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Paul is saying, I want you to know what God is doing and what his plan is. So you'll be encouraged. You'll be encouraged and you'll continue to walk in truth, in the truth of God's word. Continuing on there, he says, uh, verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, let me just pause there. He says, you need to know something about who God is. Who is this God that you've come to trust? What is he capable of? What he can do and what he is doing and how he's doing it. Notice what he says in the next couple of verses. Let me read verse 19 again. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Isn't that a good statement? How great, how powerful God is. You need to know that. You need to know that. You need to realize the truth of God's power. But then he goes, gets more specific. Verse, let me read verse 19 connected with 20. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ? Don't ignore that. This power is displayed, God's plan is displayed in how he did it through Jesus Christ. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. If we're to understand what God is doing and what his plan and what his purpose is, if we're to have this godly perspective, we need to know what God is doing and how he's doing it. He's working this thing through Jesus Christ. Continue on. He raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. See, when I see this and I begin to realize this is what God's doing, it it helps me to put everything, everyday things of this life in a proper perspective. it helps me to see that God is in control of all things and he, in fact, has a plan and is working his plan and at the center of that plan is Jesus Christ. So, if Christ isn't in the center of your plan, you're off base with God's plan. And if you're off base with God's plan, you're not working with it, you're working against it. Let me say this. If you're working against God's plan, you've got no hope. You've got no hope. I don't mind telling you that because I tell you that for your good. If you're working against God's plan, you have no hope. Now, the opposite of that is true and encouraging. If you know God's plan and are working with God's plan, you have every reason to hope. You see, people today want hope. But they want you to tell them that what they're doing is fine and great and they'll be okay. And I can't tell you that. I'm telling you, get in line, in step with God's plan and you'll have hope. God's plan is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has done, what he is doing what he will do. What has he done? He stepped out of heaven. He's, came, he's come to pay the price that no man could pay for man's sin. God put his stamp of approval on that by his resurrection from the dead. We talked about resurrection last week. His resurrection from the dead. And God says it doesn't stop there because this man, this man, this God man, Jesus Christ, is going to rule forever. ever. Notice what he says. He raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named. Here it is. Not only in this age but also in the one to come. You can't say it any stronger than that, that this Jesus Christ is going to rule forever in every age. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He brings us into this plan when he talks about the church. That Christ is head of the church and he's doing what he's doing for the sake of the church. And with the church right there, what do we mean by church? We mean those individuals who come to trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. They collectively make up a body of people that the Bible, New Testament calls the church. This is what God is doing. This is God's plan. When we understand this and work in this, we gain a godly perspective. Now, the reality is most people don't have a godly perspective. They wake up this morning with no idea and no thought of doing what God would have them to do. We're in a minority here at church. We've come to worship God, to hear what he has to say. But most people are ignoring that, and they're doing their own thing. It reminds me of the people of Noah's day. Noah spent years working on that ark, and in that he was preaching to the people and telling them that God's judgment is coming. And they were like, yeah, no, we've heard that. You said that to me before. I've heard it. I don't know why you and your crazy son spending all day and night working on that silly ark in the middle of a desert or dry land. I don't know what you're doing, man. See, Noah had a perspective. He understood what God God was doing. That perspective perspective guided everything that he did. So when he woke up in the morning, guess what he was thinking? I'm going to get pitched. For this ark that i'm building what i make my nails out of how to make this thing waterproof what does god want me to do how does he want me to do it where are the animals going to be he began to think in those details and now it's from the perspective of what god had for him to do based on god's plan you see when it all went together it began to make sense but while he was doing that people were laughing at him Thinking it was ridiculous. But then all of a sudden, these little things started to drop from the sky. Didn't mean much to people. Like, hmm, that's kind of odd. That's kind of strange. Hey, it feels kind of refreshing in a hot day, a little coolness from the sky. See, it never rained before that happened. And they're thinking, ah, well, drops from the sky. No, it's still crazy. That was the first morning. By noon, it continues. By evening, it still continues, and it's a downpour. The Bible says eventually the ground, the deep, opened up, and water gushed out. See, by the time it got real, it was too late to gain a godly perspective that would do them any good. It reminds me of what the Bible says in Philippians when he says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You see, it doesn't mean that they'll be saved. It means they'll agree with the obvious. Like the people of Noah's day, they died like, "Oh, this is real." But it's too late for that to be a benefit to them. I'm sure at some point the reality of the flood and Noah's truth and speaking implanted in their mind, but it was too late. They couldn't change their fate. It was unstoppable at that point. And all they were trying to do is how could they be rescued? But they had no faith in what God was actually doing. God has given us a plan. I like what God did with Noah. He did the same thing with Abraham. He said, basically, he says, Noah, come here, man. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I just got from walking around, checking things out. I don't like what I see. I want you to build this ark. I'm going to bring rain. Noah's like, rain? What's that? Yeah, let me tell you. I'm I'm bringing rain from the sky, from underneath the earth, and I'm going to flood, and I'm going to judge all living things. He shares with Noah what he is going to do. And he also shares with Noah the provision that he's made for him and his family. What we see there is God's announcement of judgment and his announcement of his grace, his mercy, and his power. And he shares that with Noah. So Noah, like you and I, is to have a godly perspective. So now when Noah wakes up in the morning, it's not, it's a whole different view of the same world. Can you imagine other people in Noah's world? The Bible says they were planning events just like they would normally do. So you had a father whose daughter is about to get married, he's excited about his his new son-in-law, or maybe, maybe not, I don't know. (laughs) But he's making plans for the wedding. He's getting ready for her life. He's doing all the things that are normally done. That's what he does. But what Noah does, he gets up in the morning and he thanks God that the sun is shining. He thanks God for another day. He knows God's plan and he's in step. With God's plan. They live on the same world. Maybe even in the same city. They share some of the same things, but they have a totally different perspective, and their perspective changes their whole life. I'm challenging you to gain a godly perspective from God's Word. Of what value? is a godly perspective it is of extreme value and it is very practical Hosea we studied through that I want you to turn to Hosea chapter 2 verse 14 it takes a while to find Hosea doesn't it so you go and find it I'll give you a minute I'm glad we're going to start Sunday school next week. You remember in Sunday school, we were practicing our books of the Bible. I'm not going to test you on that now. But you look at your table of contents and you find Hosea chapter 2. And look starting at verse 13, verse 14. Hosea chapter 2 is an excellent example of these two parts of God's message. One part is God's judgment for sin, and the second part is God's mercy, his tender mercy, and his seeking out of his people to save them. Um, And so Hosea, in his personal life, he illustrates the plan and purpose of God. He gains a godly perspective. And I think it was kind of a shock to him. It would have been to me if I was in his shoes. And, you know, God says to Hosea, go get your cheating wife and be a faithful husband to her. Yeah? (laughs) Go get your cheating wife and be a faithful husband to her. I would imagine Hosea like, what? Really? God says, I want you to illustrate me towards my people. My people are unfaithful to me. They haven't served me. They've gone off in their lust for other gods. They've pursued everything but me. They're disobedient. And I'm going to judge them. But I also want you to show the other side of me is that I'm graciously going after them As ones who don't deserve my faithfulness, my goodness, my love, and my mercy. They deserve to be judged. But in my mercy, I'm going after them. And I want you to illustrate what I'm doing by going after your unfaithful wife. Look at the tender words, starting at verse 13. Verse 14, I'm sorry. Therefore, behold, I will allure her i got to start with verse 13 to give you the sense for the other side. He's talking about Hosea's unfaithful wife and she's a picture of Israel who's unfaithful. He says, I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adored herself with a her ring and jewelry, went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. You can get a whole... You can. You can get... The, the full version of that, verses 1 through 13. I just want to read a portion of it. And I want you to see what a contrast it is with verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Wow. Isn't that amazing? God says, I'm going to speak softly to her, and I'm going to allure her. In other words, it's not her desire to come to me, but I'm going to change her heart and bring her to me. Continue. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer, as in the days of her youth as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. He said, I'm going to speak tenderly to her, and she's going to respond. We're going to have a real relationship. I'm going to talk, and she's going to listen, and she's going to respond back to me. Like it was when we first started. Verse 16, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my bail. Those false gods and idols. For I will remove the names of the bells from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on the day with the beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil, they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow for her, for myself, in the land. I will have mercy. On no mercy, and I will say to not my people, You are my people. He shall say, You are my God. God is letting Hosea know what his plan is so he might pattern his days appropriately. And he, in fact, instructs Hosea to illustrate his plan in his own personal life. I wanted to bring that up because we've gone through that study in Hosea. Let's take a look at the illustration in the book of Esther. Remember the story of Esther and Mordecai? Esther and Mordecai both, in their personal life, illustrate the plan and purpose of God. Just to give you a little insight, a little back. Uh, 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 back study on that you remember Israel had lost its land and now had gone into moved into a foreign land they were away from their land away from their people they were divided and they must have felt like God had God certainly had judged them but they must have felt like God had abandoned them And we said in a a whole book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned. It's like like God is is in the background and he's hiding. But throughout the book, we see that God is acting in sovereign ways. He's still in control and he's still doing what is good for his people, even though he's in essence behind the scenes. That behind the scene is really based on his people. They've abandoned God. And so they don't see him moving. Their eyes are not open to what he's doing, but he's working, he's doing, he's working behind the scenes. This is illustrated in Esther. Can I read from Esther chapter 5, verse 13? Esther, the book of Esther, is right before Job, which is right before Psalms. So Esther 5, verse 13. Am I in the right place? Let me see. No, I want Esther chapter 4. Esther 4, verse 13. Wrote it in my notes wrong, but here it is. Esther 4, 13. This is when Mordecai knew what was, the plan was to, to have all the Jews executed, and he sends a message to Esther, who's now queen in the palace, and said, you got to act. You got to do something. So he tells her... She needs to do something. In verse 13, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Now, what Esther says first when when Mordecai says, you got to do something. You got to help save your people. Esther says, well, you know, I really can't. I can't just come and make my presence known in front of the king. If you come into the king unannounced, you can just be executed on the spot unless he shows his favor to you. So I'm risking a lot to do that. And here's what uh, Mordecai speaks back to Esther. Verse 13. And Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It reminds Esther that God is in control and perhaps he's placed you there for this very reason, so act. And so Esther puts her life in jeopardy to save her people. Of course, that's an illustration of Jesus Christ who literally gives his life, not just puts it in jeopardy, he gives his life to save his people. Then Mordecai is a picture of God's plan in Jesus Christ because, you remember, Mordecai is is, is a, a, a picture of Christ's dominion over the evil one. Our kids remember the evil one, Haman, right? Dun-dun-dun! Haman, who, who, who was the evil one, and he wanted Mordecai put to death, but Mordecai, by God's sovereignty, overcame Haman... And it's Haman who was executed on the very gallows that he built for Mordecai. And it's Mordecai who reigned in Haman's position and became second in charge. So that's a picture of Jesus who who has dominion over the evil one and rules in his place. We're pictured. God has given us a glimpse of his plan for all the ages and illustrating it through the various lives of his people how about Job we talked about Job 42 too. Job understood that God is is omnipotent he can do all things and that everything that he purposes will be accomplished nothing can thwart thwart his plan and his purpose that's encouraging to know isn't it Job was encouraged by that. Job is a picture of Christ in that he's the innocent, righteous one who suffers to thwart Satan's scheme. Remember the conversation that God had with Satan about Job? Have you considered my servant Job? Satan was, yeah, well, he only liked that because you're treating him him special. God says, I'll show you. Job's heart is right. Go ahead. Mess with him if you want. (laughs) He's still going to be faithful to me. Job was innocent in, in that way and that yet he was used to thwart Satan's scheme. Jesus Christ is the righteous one, the innocent one, and he in fact did thwart Satan's scheme. And so these pictures of God's plan that's ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of what value is a godly perspective? It is of extreme practical value. A godly perspective will keep you focused in a world of distractions. Keep you focused in a world of distractions. I want to just quote from a verse. You can write it down if you like. In Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus says, What will the profit a man if he will gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He says, gain a godly perspective... And it will help you, keep you focused on what's really important. In Romans 12, 2, another verse, it says, Don't be conformed to this world. Have a godly perspective that keeps you in line with what God is doing so that you don't go for all the nonsense that the world is trying to sell you and you're conformed to this world. But he says, instead, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. By letting your mind, acknowledging that your mind belongs to God, and you're going to fill it with his perspective so that you begin to act that out instead of world's perspective. Secondly, a godly perspective will protect against discouragement, depression, and despair. I want you to turn this time to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. Are you with me? Stay awake. Stay with me. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6. Interesting story here about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus himself said, was one of the greatest men to ever live. (laughs) That's quite a statement, isn't it? You believe Jesus, right? (laughs) That's an endorsement. You want an endorsement. That's the one to get the endorsement from. And John the Baptist had that endorsement. In spite of that, though, he came up against some discouragement. Let's look at it. Matthew 11. Now when Jesus, excuse me. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? What is John saying, and where was he? First of all, the easy question. He was in prison. What was he in prison for? He was in prison for his bold stand against Herod, saying that you have sinned by taking your brother's wife. And basically that God don't like that. (laughs) And Herod was the king, so that's a dangerous thing to say to the king. John took a bold stand for righteousness, and he paid his life. He put him in jail. You know, the king just thought, hey, I'm just going to show him to not mouth off about me. I'll put him in jail. But then the, the scheme came up when the woman he was trying to, to please, trying to get her attention and try to gain her affection, um, hated what John said because it didn't look good to her, didn't look, didn't look good on her. So um, she challenged her to have him killed, and he did. But while he was in jail waiting for his execution, he says by messenger to Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? He was discouraged because he was in jail and he knew by all probability he would be put to death. He was discouraged. What does Jesus tell him? Hey, John, don't worry. You're going to be all right. He didn't tell him that. What does he tell him to encourage him? What does he tell him to lift up his hope? What does he tell him to get his perspective right? What does he share with him? Verse 3, he said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see." The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Is that it, Jesus? That's it. Go and tell John what you hear and see. He is saying to John, look at who I am look what I've done or can I say look at what I've done and it shows who I am get your perspective right John don't be discouraged know who I am know who God's what God's plan is and know that even though you're slated to be put to death God's plan is continuing just as he desires God is in control, John. Yes, I am the one. You can go to your death with that encouragement. That's a little different than how we encourage people today, isn't it? He is saying, look at Jesus and build your confidence on who he is and what he's doing. Gain a godly perspective of what God is doing through the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will empower you to do all that God has for you to do. He says, in essence, John, look at me. John, look at me. Don't lose hope. Look at me. Know that I am who I say that I am and that God will fulfill all that he says he will fulfill. He says to John, look at me and have hope. Even though John was sure to die, look at me. The Lord had that same response to Job when Job was just overburdened by his trials and all that was happening. And God stepped in and began to say, Job, where were you when I did this? Are you the one who created all this? In essence, he's saying, Job, look at me. Know who I am, know what it is I have done, and come to understand a little bit more of my purpose, and you will gain hope in your perspective. See, if you only look at the news of this world, if you only look at what's going on as it's stated by those in this world, you will get a mindset that is totally different than what God has in mind and what his plan and what his purpose is. God says, look at me. Know what it is that I am doing and keep faith. So the Lord says to Job, look at me. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, Isaiah looked at the Lord. He saw the Lord. He saw a vision of God. He saw him high and lifted up. Here the story is, Isaiah looked at the Lord and he said, woe is me. He began to gain a right perspective of himself. Not a self-centered one. But a God-centered one to say, look at God in his holiness. Look at God in his righteousness. And I now began a proper view of God, therefore a proper perspective of myself. I see myself humbly as a sinner in need of God. And you see in those next verses, I don't have time to read them, but you can read them in your devotion this week. Isaiah chapter 6. You can read them and you can see how he says, Lord, what do you want? i make myself available to you. Now I have a perspective of you. I have a perspective of myself. I am now available to you. And and, and God tells him, go out and share the message of my plan and what I'm doing. But understand, people still ain't going to (laughs) believe. That's what he told Isaiah. They're not going to believe. They're hard-hearted. They're going to turn away. But keep a perspective of who I am and what I'm doing and how I will accomplish my purpose. You and I need a godly perspective. That's the encouragement that we get. We go through a lot of challenges and a lot of trials, and the world beats up on us. We need a godly perspective that anchors up In the will of God, it it gives us the hope that God knows what he's doing. He's powerful enough to pull it off, and there is hope in God's plan, and there is hope in nothing else but God's plan. We also gain the perspective that God's plan is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Old song we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, his righteousness. And so my, my focus then needs to be on God's plan and what he's doing is in the Lord Jesus Christ. What should you do in light of this message? Meditate. Meditate on scripture. Meditate as you look at a scripture, particularly as we go through a book like we've gone through in Job recently. I want you to meditate and contemplate and think about what does the scripture inform me about God's purpose and his plan? How does it help my understanding of what God is doing? if I open my eyes to what God is doing, I don't lose hope. I'm not caught in the flood of all the stuff that happens. You, 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 what we do is we, we see all the stuff going around. We read the news. We see the, the protests. We see the virus information. We see the violence in our city. We interact with that. We see it every day. And, and you know, we may say this world is, is a mess. And it's easy to lose hope. We go through sickness and hardships, and it's easy to lose our perspective. But then we understand what God is doing. We've had deaths in our family and deaths in in our church family, and it's easy to lose perspective. But then we understand what God is doing. We begin to, 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 to let the Word of God speak to us we need to meditate how does God's word teach us or how does it inform us of his plan and of his purpose how what role do I play in the plan of God I think of Romans 8 28 which we read earlier all things work together to those who love God all things are working together for their good for God's glory God is working his plan. I can have confidence in that. God knows what he's doing. I can have confidence in that. All the things that happen around me aren't like uh, um, uh, like God is powerless and, and he's trying to put this little fire out and then he's busy and that and another fire gets started and he's trying to go at that and then something else happens and like we're all praying and can God possibly be do all these things at once? Piece of cake. God is totally in control and he's doing exactly as he plans and nothing escapes his notice and everything is conforming to his plan and going as he desires. If it's my desire to save the world, I'm going to be frustrated. If it's my desire to end racism in America, I'm going to be frustrated. If it's my desire to end all suffering and sickness in this world, I'm going to be frustrated because that's not God's plan. Sin is going to continue. It simply highlights the need for man to trust God and turn to him because it's only his plan that's going to work. Then I began to recognize what God is doing, what his plan is. He's bringing people to himself and he's pointing them to his son and he's building his own kingdom. And it's not for here, it's for there. Our rejoicing and our celebration really is is not for what we're going to experience here. We get glimpses of it, I'm sure, but it's what we're going to have in eternity. Get a view of God's purpose and his plan. Meditate on it. See what your role should be and how you are falling in line with God's plan. And then how do you illustrate and communicate God's plan and purpose through your life to others? How do you do that as a student? How do you do that as an employee? As a parent? As a spouse? As a brother or sister in Christ? How How am I to to show and illustrate the working that God is doing in my life? You can be a faithful witness, you can be steadfast in your faithfulness. How do you illustrate some of God's traits? His steadfastness, his faithfulness, his long suffering, his patience. His forgiveness, his mercy. Remember, Hosea was to illustrate some of those things to his own wife. To show God's purpose and God's plan. God is calling you to illustrate some of those. Job was to illustrate some of that to those who were a witness to him. God's purpose is he be glorified as you illustrate the character traits of God. In Ephesians 4, again, verses uh, 11 through 13, we see that God... The, the end desire is that he's bringing us through the, through the work of sanctification, he's bringing us to be more and more like Christ. That is purpose, that's his goal, that is working in us as part of his plan. Concentrate and focus on that. How am I to illustrate Christ and live like Christ before others who who uh, I come in contact with? I pray to God will help you to to long for his purpose and long for his plan and to place yourself in phase with his plan. To commit yourself to that, to submit yourself to his plan. Stop working your plan and put put yourself in his hand and say, Lord, here I am. Use me as you desire for your purpose and your plan. Open my eyes more to what that is that I might see, that I might embrace a new plan that's not mine but yours. Recognize that centers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, I appreciate what you've done on the cross to me. May, let me not belittle that in any way in every day that I live by taking up some cause that's greater than you, that takes more attention from me, and focus away from you. Help me to center on what's most important in all of your plan, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. May that fashion my thinking, all my energy, and all that I do in your plan. Help me to see it more. Help me to follow it more directly. Choir. I'm going to ask you to come at this time. As they come, let's have just a word of prayer. Father, help us to gain a godly perspective that centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what He have us to do, have us to think, how we have us to act in every way. Does anyone here, Lord? that doesn't know, doesn't have a relationship with you through trusting Christ. May your Holy Spirit make them aware of their need for Christ and draw them to Christ today. We may be able to sit down and pray with them, talk with them, share with them, cry with them, rejoice with them to help discover who Jesus is and how they must trust him for eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.